Today's episode of the Goldcast is sponsored by the return of Jimmy G eventually. Do you like starting quarterbacks? So do we. Do you like starting quarterbacks that can finish their season and uh, make good on the gigantic contract we gave them? So do we. Well, if you're a fan of that, then you'll like the return of Jimmy G eventually. It'll be sponsoring this episode. Now, Raymond, before we get into this week's episode, why don't you let them know where can they find us? You can like us at facebook.com slash the goldcast. You can also subscribe to us via iTunes, YouTube, and Stitcher, all under the same moniker of the goldcast. Like, subscribe, and comment because we appreciate hearing from you. Boom. There it is. Here we go. So some people might be wondering where the goldcast has been. Where were we? For, where were we when uh, Nick Mullins coughed the game up during Week 16? Where were we during the bludgeoning of Week 17? Where was the gold cast? Well, for one, we were celebrating Christmas. Then we were celebrating New Year's, and you know, we just didn't feel like talking about those crappy ass games. And it was the holidays, so we decided we would enjoy the holidays and come talk to you guys afterwards because we're here for the entire year anyways so here we are we're back let's get into it brand new first gold cast of 2019 but before we get started as always the gold cast intro let's get busy san francisco are you ready this is the gold cast Welcome to another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Salisa Third, and with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Salisa First, baby. Boom! Live and direct coming at you 2019. Let's go. Okay, Raymond. It's here. The season is over. Another season in the books. And, uh, you know, at the start of the season, this was a very optimistic fan base. I think on the Gold Cast Nation, for once, I was actually the voice of reason, which is doesn't happen too often. I'm not, it's not very often I'm the voice of reason for anything. But uh, I was fairly apprehensive, although I have to admit I did not, in even my most pessimistic viewpoints of the season, expect it to end with only four games. I... I had predicted eight and eight, but uh, you know six and eight, six and ten, eight and eight was where I really had us hovering around somewhere in there. Uh, I did not expect Jimmy G to go down, but we also saw some huge heroes step from the ashes. So you saw George Kittle turn into a one of the best tight ends in the league. All pro, second team all pro. Second team all pro. There's only there's only two positions in the all pro team. The first one went to uh, Travis Kelsey and Robert or uh, Robert Sala. Um, George Kittle got the second position. Oh, that's that's in front of Zach Ertz. Yeah, and then you saw Kyle Schuschek. Uh, I don't know how to say his last name. I everyone butchers this. I am no better. It's just like drop the J. Like it's. Sort of a soft J. Just use it as a Y. Huschek? Yeah. Huschek? Okay. Kyle Huschek played well. DeForest Buckner, a dominating, dominating uh, season from him. Ruben Foster goes down. Nick Mullins steps in for C.J. Beathard and proves to be an extremely competent, arguably the best third-string quarterback in the in the NFL it, it, it uh, the the defense comes alive towards the second half of the season. The first half, it really looks like Robert Sala is on his way out and most likely going to coach his way out of a job. And then we see a big rise from them in the last several games, really coming on strong. Uh, some guys coming up from the practice squad that really made an impact. Guys getting uh, healed. We saw. Kyle Shanahan once again schemed the hell out of an offensive uh, offensive side of the ball that had so many position players down, so many injuries, and yet week in and week out, there's Kyle Shanahan scheming the hell out of that offense and every week keeping the 49ers in 
the game. We won some games that I didn't think we were going to win. We finally broke the streak of losing to the Seahawks, that losing streak. We finally broke a 10-game streak and won our first game against Seattle. Jimmy G goes down in week three against Kansas City, and that was brutal. That was probably the worst moment of the year for me as a Barrier sports fan was watching that moment go down. And it just ended up being a topsy-turvy, brutal and frustrating year for the 49ers from my perspective. And uh, what's your take? I mean, I, I threw a lot out there. What what did you see at the end? What are your what's your final thoughts on this 49er season as we now it's all in the books and we go into wild card weekend? For me, I think it was Jimmy G. I think losing Jimmy G. Garoppolo, like a lot of fans, you know, yourself included, was pretty much the lowest point. That's pretty much when I thought, all right, here the, here goes the season. It's over. Any aspirations to contend even for the lowest possible seed just went completely out the window the losing streak obviously stung but i think losing jimmy superseded that because that that was this the the losing the losing streak although we had one similar to last season it did last season was different because we didn't know jimmy g was going to be there this this year it was like i was too caught up thinking about jimmy g's horrific injury to even get swept up into the loss, although losing does suck regardless of what the circumstances are. You know, I know there was bright spots to divorce Buckner. I'm so happy that he eclipsed double digit sacks and basically finished, you know, in the the third position. He's a he's a substitute in the Pro Bowl. So if the if Aaron Donald and I forget the other player that was chosen, if they end up progressing in the playoffs and then divorce Buckner will then take take one of their positions to go. So he's an alternate as it stands right now. George Kittle's bona fide, as we mentioned, second team All Pro, amazing. Broke 49ers record, broke Niner records this year, in addition to NFL records this year. So that was amazing. His touchdown total, you know, wasn't as good as you know Travis Kelsey. You know, he only had five scores, but he was just a yardage machine. I think he had one of the best yaks in the entire league as a tight end. Um, he had numerous. Yeah, I think he had some of the most explosive plays in terms of length of yards. He had he had quite a bit. I mean, his longest was 85, but he had multiple catches where he would keep catch the ball and then go for additional yardage. Well, well past 20, like 30 yarders, 45 yarders, 50 yarders, 85 yarders, the 75 one earlier in the year before that. So three pole, three pole bowlers to finish the year. That's, uh, you know, not too bad. You know, defense finishes middle of the road, much better than last season, although we're pretty much near the bottom of the barrel. Uh, in terms of points allowed, that needs to change. So giving up the big plays that hurt you the most is what the defense has struggled with the last two years. And even though they've improved in other areas, statistically yards, passing yards allowed and rushing yards allowed 14th, 11th and 13th respectively. And I'll credit Salah for that because that's pretty hard to do considering he had a constant carousel of players going in and out of that lineup, especially the secondary there's never seemed to be a healthy body able to sustain at least three games or more in a row. It was always gone a few games back, gone back, gone back. Some guys were out all year, of course, so that's really difficult to deal with. Fred Warner led the team in tackles. He had 124. That's uh, almost double of the next closest player, which was Elijah Lee, who was a an, uh, a, a rotating linebacker. Fred Warner was a, was a constant back there in the middle. And... Uh, turnovers was a huge disappointment for me too. 11 forced fumbles in the entire league. Uh, opponents totals were 19. So uh, accumulated the, the teams that we played accumulated more turnovers than we were able to generate only two picks all season that needs to change. So uh, all, all of that needs to change. Hard to do that when you have a bunch of rotating bodies in there, you know, that aren't as polished as other players or players that are getting more reps than, than whatnot. And, so a lot needs to change going into the season. Health was obviously a huge concern. We fired the health and strength conditioning coach, which is a step in the right direction, I believe. We had the same issue before Kyle Shanahan got here, and we fired that uh, position coach. I remember the short guy with the hat and the glasses. I think he's in Detroit now. Um, but uh, you know, now we fired uh, Ray Wright, was the the current strength and conditioning coach. So I think we need somebody, somebody that help get these guys. But I think some of it has to do with the players themselves. And not being able to just sustain them, sustain themselves within the 
to sustain themselves in an, at, at an NFL level that, you know, that what, what it takes to sustain yourself as an NFL player. Some guys just don't have it. You know, Jimmy Ward constantly injured prone. Um, Eric Armstead, I'll give him a nod. He actually played all 16 games this year. First time he's done that in his career. I don't know what his future holds. We picked up his fifth option, but he didn't necessarily explode. I think had he played those 16 games and, and all his, his previous seasons, I think his totals this year would have been a lot better because he would, he would have more polish to his technique and he'd be, he'd be able to compliment DeForest Buckner a lot more. But because he missed all that time with broken hand, he also finished the season with a broken hand again this year. And they don't know if that's going to require surgery. So I'm not sure if, if it does require surgery, that'll probably count him out for could, – could be – preseason uh, OTAs, which again will hurt him. I think at that point, I think you need to cut ties if, if it was me. But um, overall, I'd say obviously a disappointing season, but a lot to look forward to. Jarek McKinnon comes back. Jimmy Garoppolo gets back. We hope that they can stay healthy and sustain us for a season, actually help, help us make a run for a wild card position or the division. So that would be great, but uh, it's kind of a wait and see at this point. But um, that's kind of how the season looked to me. A few bright spots, you know, Juszczyk, Forrest Buckner, and George Kittle. That was the only ones, obviously, that stood out for most of us. But other than that, kind of a down season. But I think you made a um, a keen observation in giving accolades to Kyle Shanahan. Clearly, he's a very, very good offensive play caller. I didn't hear a whole lot of people complaining about play calling when it came to Kyle Shanahan. It was more because a lot of times we would see it seemed like the right play, but it just didn't get executed the way it was supposed to get executed. And so we we obviously don't put Kyle Shanahan on the blame train for that one because the players are supposed to execute the plays that are called. And the, the call seemed to be pretty much on the money in line with to, to deflect what the defense was, was doing against us. But because you have people like Nick Mullen, C.J. Beathard, both of them give up the ball more often than not. Although I think we had total was like 26 touchdowns, 20 interceptions, still in a terrible ratio. Um, obviously, a lot needs to change. So I think uh, everyone's going to start turning towards the draft. We're going to start looking at some of those players. Everyone's saying Nick Bosa, Josh Allen. Um, what is his name? Uh Quillen Williams, I think was his name. Uh, he's like an Aaron Donald type. At least that's what he looks like on paper. His frame is very similar to Aaron Donald. Whether he'll play like that is another story. Very, it, It's kind of a coin toss. But uh, if, if it was me picking, I mean, I, I don't know. I think that's a conversation for later in the cast. But that's how the season wrapped up for me, you know, to make a long story short. Disappointing with a few bright spots. I agree. Disappointing with a few bright spots. Now, let's... Let's stay focused a little bit here on the defense because the defense, a lot of people arguably were, car, were or justifiably, you know, depending on your perspective, were calling for Robert Sala's head. Richard Sherman came out midway through the season and defended him, you know, uh, basically in one, in, you know, without putting too fine of a point on it, was saying, you know, well, you know, Robert Sala is calling the right plays, but if the players aren't executing at the level that Robert Sala wants, what can he do? Kyle Shanahan did come out here at the end of the season in, you know, his wrap-up press conferences and did say that, you know, they had no plans on changing the coaching staff and, you know, kind of argued, you know, if you look, the team was dead last when Kyle Shanahan and Robert Sala took over and now the defense is middle of the road, somewhere between like 13th and 15th. I think you know those numbers exactly. At one point, we were like sixth against the run in the league. So you know, you go from the, you know go from absolutely dead last in all those numbers to almost top five, um, top 10, and then uh, halfway. You know, cutting it down to halfway down. And so he felt that that justified another season for Robert Sala and it could also be you know like if, I'm not big on conspiracies but it could also be that you know maybe maybe Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch looked across the landscape and didn't really see a defensive coordinator in waiting that could that was better maybe they thought they there were a lot of lateral moves but no real steps above so an interesting move perhaps a controversial move what do you think about keeping Robert Sala given Kyle Shanahan's justifications? Well, I think, uh, I mean, to be fair, 
I'm not an NFL expert, so I ha- my opinion is just that an opinion. It's a very unqualified opinion. Well, well, Raymond, Raymond, but you are the greatest fanalist in the game. Let's not forget that. Taking that into consideration, <laughs> it's it's hard not to argue with Kyle Shanahan because I do tend to think that he's you know among the top echelon of football minds in the entire NFL. That's evident in his coaching career and also evident in uh, the way he's handled the 49ers and the way he's kept the team together despite all of the shortcomings. Um, This team could be much more deeper down in the dumps, but every time there's an interview, everyone always talks talks positively about one another. No one's down in the dumps. Everyone's always seems to be picking each other up and having a next man up type of mentality, very similar to the Warriors uh, and how they how they operate uh, mentally, and so when he talks about the defensive woes and making a case for Robert Sala, I tend to side with with his point of view because he's not wrong in his evaluation. I mean, if you look at the the whole situation, I mean, Robert Sala plays a very similar style to the Seattle Seahawks. Even in the playoff game today, it was mentioned that Seattle Seahawks does not blitz a lot. And I know that we've had conversations with friends and family on the sports thread talking about how we need to blitz more and we're less aggressive. But if if Salah's being true to, to the 43 defense that he became familiar with in Seattle, then the truth is uh, they do not blitz very much. It's situational blitzes. It's not like a a Pittsburgh Steelers 34 defense, which is a, a very blitz-happy, blitz-happy. Um, and that, that defensive coordinator is not even with that team anymore. I think he went to uh, Carolina, or I can't remember. But um, Dick LeBeau, uh, I, f- I forget where he's at. But um, it's it's a different style. Even the, even Vic Fangio's defense in Chicago, which is very sound, which is very much, it drops it drops the base, the base front seven into covering the run, the the short routes, the intermediate throws, and then allowing the the dedicated pass rushers to do their job, and then allowing everyone in the secondary to focus on covering the pass. That's why it's so it seems very efficient because it's not aggressive. It's very textbook in that regard, where the base front does their job to try to get to the quarterback, disrupt passing plays, and also stop the run, and allows the second and third level, i.e., the middle linebackers and the secondary group to help defend the pass. So you have extra hands back there to give you to give you some some extra leverage in case the pass rush is not able to stop the quarterback in time. That's the idea behind it is you have extra hands back because it's really really hard to defend the pass in the NFL, especially nowadays with the way the rules that are set up. And so the our secondary in particular had a rotating carousel in the safety position alone. I think there was like seven different players that fulfilled that role whereas most teams are rotating, you know, two to four. So we had almost double that. And it's going to be really hard to be efficient and effective against uh, opposing offenses when you have a constant rotation of players coming around. That means you're not going to be able, they're not going to be able to gel. They're not going to be able to learn the the play calls as, as well as they should. They're not going to have the same communication and they're not going to be able to have that same communication between one another because it's like, oh, now there's a different person with a different play style and a different uh, personality that's in there. The next week, it's the same thing. So really hard to do that. And I think that's something you need to take into, we all need to take into consideration instead of just throwing him into the fire. At the same time, um, you know, uh, turnovers, they were less interceptions, less fumbles. We seem to go backwards in that position. Um, we still 28th in the league in points allowed. And I get that um, in the NFL, if you can't defend the pass, you're going to get scored on quite a bit. And because we had a rotating group back there, it seemed to be – that was, to me, the, the biggest, the weakest link in our defense constantly. And I think that was one of the main reasons why we weren't, we weren't able to uh, stop teams. We, we stopped well, them. Stop me, stop me if you've heard this before. Stop me if this sounds like a 49er game you saw this year. Fourth quarter, about around five minutes left. 49ers are in the lead anywhere from three to five points. Niners have the game within reach, the win within reach. 
the defenses on the field and through a series of simple, quick, short running routes, the opposing team is able to dice the 49ers defense up, gain the lead with very little time left on the clock, and we lose that game within the final five minutes. How many times did we see that game repeated over and over and over again with the 49ers this year? Quite a bit. Um, and there was quite a there was, there was quite a few games earlier in the season too when we had the lead and just gave it up, or we needed to get we needed to get back into we needed to shorten the the deficit, but we couldn't do it because the defense couldn't hold it. The defense played better down the stretch, but um, too little, too late. You can't you can't just play good in the last five games. You know you've got to be able to do that uh, sixteen games a season if you want to compete in the NFL. They know that obviously these people know that they're not stupid, but um, it's like it's like towards the end of the year the injury slowed down, and so the existing group, uh, the, the the group that was in there, was able to get comfortable with one another and get comfortable with the playbook, and so as a result, they were able to gel a little bit, and that's why they were able to play better collectively because there there wasn't there was less of a carousel situation going on, less of a rotation of players going in there. And so they did play better, better down the stretch, but um, it wasn't enough. You know, I mean, Matt Breda was nursing an ankle injury all season. He mustered up 800 yards on 153 attempts. So he was very productive. Um, I know he shared that with Alfred Morris, who put up 400. Jeff Wilson, uh, towards the end of the season, put up uh, 266. So that that was nice, a uh, nice little committee of running backs but, you know, ideally you want Jarek McKinnon and Matt Breda both back there. And without, I mean, and then Breda got pulled the last couple of weeks of the season. Then the, the running game seemed to stagnate a little bit. And then Nick Mullins became a turnover machine in the last couple of games, particularly in that last game. Um, he was just terrible with his timing. He was telegraphing his throws. But I mean, I mean, to go back to the original point, I mean, Kyle Shanahan's not wrong. I, I, I do think that's, that if this season, if they're able to stay healthy, and the results are similar, then you need to cut ties because then he's he's given three seasons to prove himself, and we gave him two season two season passes because he dealt with a unusual amount of injuries, and they wouldn't have fired this strength and conditioning coach if that wasn't the case. That's that's one of the dominoes. There's obviously other dominoes like I think you need to consider cutting ties with Jimmy Ward because he's injured prone. You need to consider cutting ties with um, some of these. I mean. The list is, I think the list is pretty long, more on the defensive side. I think you give maybe, you give Eric Armstead maybe one more shot. I mean, if he gets injured again before the season starts and he's not able to start, then you could consider trading him if if that's the case, but he wouldn't have much value. I think if he, if he ended up getting injured, you have uh, un, unknown players like Anton Exum, DJ Reed, you don't know what you're going to get. I was about to say, I don't even know who Anton Exum is. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> One of the safeties, Akella Witherspoon, uh, a John Lynch pick. You know, We don't know what we're going to get out of him. He seemed to regress this season. So we'll see if that's more or less a sophomore slump and he can bounce back in the second season. Solomon Thomas um, had uh, definitely seemed to regress this season as opposed to last season. Not much of a difference. And he's a top three pick. So that's really disappointing from that perspective. Um, you, you have guys like Mark Mark Zichoa. I don't even know that linebacker. He, he came in a little bit. Adrian Colbert couldn't stay healthy. Greg Maben, okay. Um, Ronald Blair played decently. Malcolm Smith played decently. I mean, I don't know. You have... You have- Roger McCowitz, you have Larry Smith, <laughs> you have Barry Jones. I'm just inventing names. I'm just throwing. I'm just throwing names out there. You ha- you have a uh, uh, Logie, Big Tech. I mean, uh, on the offensive side, Marquise Goodwin, Pierre Garcon. I think you need to get rid of both of them. They're they're not reliable. Part- Who's Pierre Garcon? Pierre Garcon was supposed to be the. We were hoping that he would. No, I, I'm kidding. I that's but I mean I'm I mean I'm exaggerating. Like who the hell is Pierre Garcon? He literally did did nothing for us this entire year. Yeah, and he was supposed to come in and be you know the Anquan Bolden uh, pick for John Lynch, but uh, and that's not uh, Lynch's fault. That's Pierre Garcon's fault. They they both came in ten years into the league when we acquired them. The only difference is Anquan Bolden was able to 
keep sustaining his career virtually injury free and was extremely productive as a as a as a uh a a, 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 a what you call it um he wasn't a primary receiver, but um, he was a secondary receiver. He would move the chains quite a bit. And that's what we're hoping for uh, Pierre Garçon, but injuries after injuries. And I just don't think, don't think he's going to be able to do the same thing. I think that's out the window. And then you have Marquise Goodwin, who last year seemed to play well on the heels of this tragic situation, a tragic personal situation. And this year he had more, some more personal stuff, although we weren't privy to it like we were last season. And it just seemed to not um, ignite him like it did last season. And then sometimes it seems like he's on, sometimes it seems like he's off. I just feel like he's inconsistent in addition to whatever's going on in his personal life. But um, other than that, I think you part ways with him too. I think he's got a lot of potential, but at this point in his career, you're pretty much, I think what we see is what we're going to get, which is unfortunate because there's a lot of potential that it's just going to go down the drain. But uh, other than that, I think... um, you know, there's going to be a lot of names that should leave before the season starts. Get some, get these injured bodies out, and get some fresh bodies in. Okay, so here, here's the hard questions. I'm going to start. I'm going to start asking you the hard questions. I think I already know the answer to the first one. Robert Sala, is he on the hot seat next year? Yeah, definitely. This this be a, a a hat trick of seasons. So if they don't improve especially in the points allowed category, which is 28th in the NFL. They improved everywhere else. Rushing yards, they were 14th. They were top six and top 10 most of the season, but towards the end of the season, I think guys started to get a little little gashed more more often than not. Passing The passing group, surprisingly, I think was 11th in the league. I think some of that came from DeForest Buckner you know, doing his job as an interior pass rusher. He, got, he accumulated 12 sacks, really hard to do in his position because he's absorbing double teams and teams know that they're not going to get the same type of threat from the supporting cast. Although Cassius Marsh and Ronald Blair each totaled five and a half, you know, for 11 total on that side. So there was a degree of pass rushing from the supporting cast, but not nearly as formidable or as talented as Buckner's display. Okay. Okay. So here's I got some more though. We got some more tough questions for you. This is the toughest question. Is Kyle Shanahan on the hot seat next year? No, I don't think so. Okay. Is Jimmy G on the hot seat next year? He doesn't go on the hot seat, but if he gets injured again, then that's going to raise eyebrows and questions to his ability to keep himself conditioned. Because he already had an injury in New England where he took over for Tom Brady during the four-game uh, suspension and got injured two games into it. Um, so we know that there's, there's, some, there's some inkling of a potential pattern. So there was the shoulder. Now it's the ACL or um, MCL. Or was it the ACL? ACL. So, so there, there's two now. If he goes for a third this season, then we know. Then I think you know we've we need to start. We don't put him in the hot seat, but we say, hey, something needs to change because the you can't be having these injuries with that with that kind of salary. Yeah, because you know the the one thing that concerns me. This is now two seasons in a row where Jimmy G has been unable to fulfill his season commitment. Two in a row. That's just a little nerve-wracking. Okay. Well, last year he played all games that we had him. I mean, he came over halfway in the season. He he, he started. You're right. Two of three. Two of three. You're right. You're right. Two of three. Two of three. Okay. Now here's here's the next one. Next tough question. Is John Lynch on the hot seat next year? No, because for the most part, he's made really good decisions. He's made good decisions on the, on the free agent side. I know, you know, Jarek McKinnon injury. That's, that's not on John Lynch. Um, if it continues to happen, then obviously we have a fact pattern, but I'm going to chalk up Jarek McKinnon to just a, a fluke injury. He got, he's the one that got the Jimmy deal, Jimmy G deal done. The trade. Um, he got, the the Solomon Thomas deal. Well, not he I mean he traded with Chicago to get additional picks, and uh, McGlinchey 
was one of the best offensive linemen, rookie offensive linemen in this past NFL. So that was a huge pick for him. Getting Richard Sherman. He got Richard Sherman. That's a huge one. It, no one seemed to want to throw to his side all season long. So that's obviously indicative of his ability to to shut down receivers. We know that uh, he picked George Kittle, who became a bona fide all pro in his second season. So that gets credited to John Lynch. Um, so on the offensive side, he's been really very good. Um, he's been good with uh, the offensive lineman pick, the tight end pick. Um, Breda has been very productive. Nick Mullins. Nick Mullins, uh, C.J. Beathard to a lesser degree, um, Jimmy Garoppolo when he's healthy, um, Richard Sherman on a defensive side. You know, he's made he's gotten some guys in there that have been helpful, although not outstanding. Malcolm Smith played this season. That was great. Um, Fred Warner was a terrific pick. He's been he seems to be good in coverage, passing situ- and uh, running situations for the most part. He's still young, so he still has ways to go. The 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 pick for Reuben Foster obviously didn't work out. They gave him parameters. They gave him uh, and and now he might be innocent. Yeah, but you know, even even then, you there's other players that were also innocent, but still got suspended for six games. So, um, um, do not be surprised. I believe the NFL will suspend him for at least six games coming into this next season. But, um, you know, as just because the the charges are dropped doesn't necessarily mean you're innocent. I mean, he could very well go back and allow this person, you know, go back into this, you know, toxic relationship and allow something else to to crop up. You know, last time it was she lied about her testimony. This time she went on national television to to share uh, the the incident, uh, the the alleged uh, domestic violence. And then the charges get dropped. So what does that mean? They made amends and then she pulled back at the end. We don't know the details, but that the the, the patterns kind of kind of support that theory, which is which is what I think happened. But he could very mal, very very well regress back to that relationship and have something happen again, and then you know become wouldn't be an Alden Smith situation because Alden Smith dealt with addiction. Ruben Foster doesn't have addiction problems. He just has uh, he can't get out of you know he's he's kind of stuck. In, a, in some old habits that don't necessarily serve his new life as a professional athlete. And that's up to him. I don't put that on John Lynch. He was great when he was healthy. And even though he always kind of seemed to get a stinger every game, he had some kind of stinger and had to wake up. You know, he was all over the place. He was a good pick. Uh, he was. Everyone praised him for that pick. Ruben Foster couldn't fulfill his end of the bargain. It wasn't that John Lynch made a bad decision. It was that Ruben Foster couldn't fulfill his his part of the deal. So we'll have to see how they do again. Um, people are thinking we should pick Nick Bosa if he's available. I highly doubt that Arizona won't go for him if they retain the first overall pick. It's it's between Nick Bosa and probably Josh Allen. is the one, That's the one I personally like. I like him even a little bit more than Nick Bosa, although some people might think might disagree with me, and that's fine. I just think that Josh Allen has played all four college seasons and doesn't have the same injury history that Nick Bosa does. And while his his numbers accumulated a little bit less than Nick Bosa's short um, short catalog of play, I think that having more playing time equates to more playing experience, which means there's a higher percentage chance that he'll be able to hone his techniques faster and better than a Nick Bosa. There's no guarantee that Nick Bosa will play like Joey Bosa, um, but everyone thinks he will based on his 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 first two seasons of college. Well, I think there's also something to be said about when you come from a professional uh, athletic background. You know, dad played football, brother plays football. He comes from a football family. It's like the Watts. You know what I mean? So I think there's something to be said about that. And I think there's a lot of information that's exchanged as far as to, as far as what works and what doesn't at the pro level that you're going to get when you come from a football family then versus if this is, you're the only one that's ever made it into the league. I think, you know, we, we've seen this like with the Curry's in basketball. I think there's a lot to be said sometimes when a player is coming from a football, from football lineage, they're coming from an athletic, professional athletic background. I think there's things you pick up uh, uh, growing up that give you a leg up that you might not otherwise have. Um, but I understand what you're saying. I'm just saying, I think there's, I think the tough part is you can't put that on paper. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, and I, and I think uh, I think people are taking that into consideration. There's, I think, there's a lot of allure with Nick Bosa. He's considered to be he's considered to go number one. But if another team needs a quarterback and they want to jump in front of somebody, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Arizona made a trade and moved up. That would that would definitely give us a legitimate shot if we, assuming we stay at the, with a the number two in that scenario, to pick either a Bosa or a Josh Allen. I think you couldn't go wrong with either pick. I think either pick is it's pretty darn good. Um, if it was me, though, I would just I would feel more comfortable with Josh Allen. All right, so let's move on. I want to touch on this real quick. Uh, what I thought Wild Card Weekend was great. I'll tell you something I find really interesting. When you see games dominated by offenses, people talk about how great a game it was. Oh, what a great game. It was so crazy. What a crazy, cool, great game. But then when you see games dominated by defenses, you often will hear people say things like, oh, that game was trash. That game was so boring. Oh, my God, the teams played horribly. It's just really interesting that when you see defensive-dominated games are not considered at the same level as offensive-dominated games. It's just kind of, I think, the American mentality when it comes to sports. I saw a lot of defensively-dominated games this year, this weekend, and I thought they were great. I thought the last one in particular, the Eagles and the Bears, I thought that game was fantastic. It was the, it was the main event of the weekend. It was the final round. We'd kind of been leading up to this game, and I thought that game delivered on every level that it was expected to. It was, in my opinion, the best game of the weekend. What were your thoughts overall? What are your thoughts overall on these defensive, these defensively dominated games on Wild Card Weekend? And what did you think about that last game in particular? Well, I think it goes to show you that if you want to have a chance at the tournament, whether you're in the Wild Card or you have a bye you need a bona fide defense in order to do it. Every single team that played this weekend showed that. Every single one. And these are teams that did not, you know, start the year, you know, with a projected expectation of having a good defense, with the exception of the Houston Texans. Bears didn't become the Bears until they got Khalil Mack. Ravens came out and looked like the Ravens of old. That was not the case last season. Cowboys played better down the stretch. Seahawks have been Seahawks. Every game was decided by a single possession. Um, uh, Cowboys and Eagles and Bears, both of those were decided by less than three points. So, and, and then Chargers, Ravens, Colts, Texans, single possession. So I think it was a fantastic wild card weekend in that regard. Single possession games, that's, how, that's what you want out of this game. You don't want one team blowing out another team. That's boring to me. I, I get bored with that. I mean, if it's my team, I'm obviously happy. But in terms of being entertained and really kind of um, being captivated for all four quarters, you can only get that from a defensive effort. You know, unless, of course, it's a shootout that goes down the wire. That it can obviously have the same effect, too. But in this case, it's, it's, it becomes, you know, a game of, of, of defensive inches. Which offense is going to get enough inches to put enough points on the board to edge out the opponent? In that case, the Eagles by a single point. The Chargers by six points. The Cowboys by two points. The Colts by seven points. So... Uh, I think that was great. I went one for three with my picks. You know, I, I, I thought I thought luck would win. Uh, I was right about that. I thought Seahawks, with their experience, would, would take the Cowboys because I don't chuff, t- trust um, Jason Garrett. I thought Philip Rivers, while he's great, I thought the Ravens' defense would, would help them win, even though I don't trust that rookie quarterback. It ended up being the, the, right, the right thought, although not the right pick. I thought the Bears, with as well as that defense is, was good enough. But again... Um, a good enough defense with a serviceable quarterback does not cut it against these teams because if these teams play with comp- play competently on the defensive side then all they need then 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 you just need to measure the offenses together right at least that's how i saw it like the defenses came out to play for la and the defense came out to play for philadelphia which means now we're measuring offenses who has the better offense that you trust more in both cases uh, with the exception of Seahawks Cowboys, I think Russell Wilson is a far better quarterback than Dak Prescott, although he played very well. Um, but for the Chargers, Philip Rivers is a Hall of Fame quarterback versus a scramble happy uh, Jackson. And then you have Nick Foles, the best 
playoff backup quarterback in the in the in NFL history um going up against Mitchell Trubisky who's a needs to be on script quarterback if you take him off that script very beatable which is what we saw today although he wasn't atrocious but he he could not he couldn't beat you know wasn't enough to win the game um even though he did he did uh he, he did enough with what the defense gave him I'll tell you the one of the toughest parts about the ending of that game if you're a Bears fan is there's a good chance that's the last time that Vic Fangio is the defensive coordinator of your team. And he was the heart and soul of that team. Nagy did a great job, but he was the heart and soul. And there's a good chance that now he's going to get picked up and taken to another team. You know, he might be head coaching, you know, being the head coach of another team somewhere else. And that is probably the toughest part is that there's a good chance they lose Vic Fangio. Obviously, that's our ex-girlfriend. Vicky, I don't want to see Vicky dating Chicago anymore. That's been a really hard relationship for me to endure. It would be different if Vicky was the head coach because he was never the head coach here. So the head coach, that's different. That's a different. It's like I don't like that he's your boyfriend, but if you get married, well, that's a whole different thing because we were never married. And so it's like I, I, I don't really care. We were never married, but I don't want to see you be boyfriends with this person. That have this boyfriend over here. That's not cool. So this is the this is what I'm hoping for. I hope that metaphor made sense. It was a little weird, but I think I got the point across. <laughs> uh, he could if he gets offered and wants it. He could do it. I wouldn't be surprised if he came back and coached Chicago's defense once again. I wouldn't be. Surprised I'm not sure either. if he would make a good head coach. I know some people have made the case in, in terms of players. Uh, you know, but players players have given vote of confidence to many a coaches that have not made good head coaches. Um, so it it just depends, and um, obviously he knows offense well enough in order to stop it defensively, and you have to in order to be a good defensive coordinator. So it's very possible that he's he just doesn't he doesn't strike me as the type of guy that can lead a group of players because he just seems so mild mannered, very humble. Doesn't seem like the personality that I would expect to see in a head coaching position, but that's just my opinion. You know, from that's just what I see from afar. But I could be very wrong on that. But I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets interview opportunities. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised either. Um, so we'll see. Uh, last but not least, the Golden State Warriors. As we're going to begin making our transition on the Gold Cast to. Uh, talking primarily about the Golden State Warriors as we go deeper into their season. Uh, what the fuck, man? You know, we just look at some of the big games, the Christmas Day game against the Lakers, this huge game this past week against the Houston Rockets. And here's the thing. we're going. They're going for the three-peat, but they're going for their fifth year, five years in a row of getting to a championship, that is hard to do. That is hard to do. And some of these mental mistakes, I just don't understand. I just don't. They had a 20-point lead at one point against Houston. They had this game. LeBron James on Christmas Day, I mean, we're going way back, but I mean, I'm just going to the big games because it speaks to an overall pattern here. You know, LeBron James is out of that game. They're against Brandon Ingram and Kyle Kuzma. Come on. Lonzo Ball. Come on. It, it just... the They get into this iso ball, desperation three mode. It, 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 we've seen this. We've heard this story before. We've played this tape before. I just don't understand a team this dominant, this good, at this level, why they would continue to make these mistakes. What are your thoughts about this? And here's the, here's the game, Raymond. Now they're kind of playing this flip the switch thing. And we've seen LeBron's teams do that. We've seen LeBron's teams primarily. They do this flip the switch thing. And then one day you try to flip that switch and it's not there. And it usually hits in the fourth year. So now we're in the fifth year. I'm just, I don't know, man. I'm just, this is a really dangerous game to play. I don't want to hear what your thoughts are. They just look very lazy defensively offensively they look more or less what we've seen year in and year out 
since the acquisition of Kevin Durant. You know, um, defensively, particularly on the road, they struggle a lot. In fact, uh, the latest, the last stat I heard is that they're one in seven on national, nationally broadcast games. So on the biggest stage of game that you can play in the regular season, they've only won one time. Um, that's very unusual for this Warriors team. They're second in the West. Denver has a better record by three games. Um, so they kind of just look like, you know, a top West team, but not a dominant West team. They look very vulnerable this year. I think when Boogie Cousins get th- gets there, I think that'll be a, a very welcomed addition at this stage because Boogie can defend. He can defend in the paint. And he's obviously dynamic offensively. He can score. He can shoot from any range. And he can also, he's very difficult to stop inside the paint as well. So I think having him in the interior defensive lineup, although the the Warriors don't necessarily play that. They play, they do a lot of rotations and switches, which is very different from the way Cousins has played with Sacramento and with the Pelicans that don't do a lot of that. He's a big guy. You know, he doesn't move. He's not as agile as the existing group of centers that they have with Kavon Looney, Jordan Bell. You know, he doesn't move like those guys do. Um, they're a lot, they have a lot more agility than he does. But obviously we're talking about a multi-star here. This is a bona fide superstar, uh, one of the best centers in the league. So I think when he gets back there, I think he's going to help solidify not only the starting rotation, but the subsequent second team rotations that come in. So I think Steve Kerr, I I have faith in his ability to shift the rotations over and then he'll be able to substitute more easier because you'll have guys playing less minutes because Boogie Cousins is going to need to come get some minutes, although he's not going to start right away. I think he's going to come off the bench initially and then work his way into the starting lineup because you obviously want to be considerate of the injuries coming off of him, give him time to acclimate, although he is now in playing form and he's been playing for quite a while, scrimmage games um, here and in uh, uh, the Warriors D-League. And so he's he's pretty close to returning soon. So I think that'll help. But other than that, I think defensively they just look very inconsistent. They they don't look like the same group. They're not they're not they're not tight on the defensive side. It's inconsistent. The third quarter um magic that has has been the Warriors, you know, um godsend the last few seasons, that's has seemed to be non existent this year. They don't have, they've gotten beat in a lot of third quarters by a lot of teams this season. So I'm not sure where that's gone. I know Curry started off really strong and they started off looking like the dominant team, uh, like, like we've been used to. But then once he got injured and Draymond Green got injured and then the Kevin Durant controversy, that's, that's when things started to go south. So uh, I think part of it, obviously we can blame on the fact that they were missing two of their, two of the best, their, their best offensive player and their best defensive player. Although you can obviously make a case for either Curry or Durant. Durant is obviously a little bit more efficient because Durant is unguardable. Curry is guardable. At the same time, we're talking about the best offensive point guard in the entire association. And when he's not on the court for your team, obviously you're not going to do as well. Same thing can be said for Jamon Green, who not only does tremendous uh, uh, has a tremendous impact on the defensive side of the game, but also is an excellent passer and is a very much an intricate part of the offensive game uh, for the Warriors. And when he was not in there and Curry at the same time, you obviously saw a lot of struggles between Clay and Durant could not carry the team um, as much and neither could the supporting cast. And so now that they're back and they're still kind of struggling a little bit, I think uh, it obviously raises a little bit concerns. Although at this stage, you know, they're, they're almost halfway through the season. You know, we're almost halfway there. We've played They've got 26 wins, 14 losses, not a terrible place to be. They're 12 games over 500. So, I mean, statistically, they're doing all right. They need to, they need to shore up their road record. They don't travel well this year. They're 11-8. and eight. Home, they've been 15-6. and six. Not the best home record. Denver has the best home record, followed by Dallas, who actually has a they're, – they're terrific at home, terrible on the road. But uh, both those teams have better home records than the Warriors. Uh, San Antonio, 7-5, and five, has a better record than uh, the Warriors do. But um, they just need to pick it up defensively. If they do that and they get Boogie Cousins back, I think it's gonna, they're going to get hot and they're going to have a couple of streaks. I think it's going to be a, a little bit before Cousins gets truly acclimated, but he seems already mentally acclimated to this team and is already flirting with the possibility of coming back another season. 
Um, I think if things go as well as as things have for him thus far, because he's had nothing but positive things to say about his time here in in Golden State, I think he'd even be willing to take you know the same pay that he got this year just to win again because he's never won before, so he doesn't have that feeling. But he obviously is he's he's talked about how the mentality in that locker room is very very different from anything he's ever experienced, and you can see some of his personality traits um, dissipate and him starting to take on. The, the persona that's expected of a Warriors basketball player, whether you're a superstar or you're a bench player. And I think once he gets into the rotation, I think things will, will clean up for them. I'm not too worried, but I, they do look very vulnerable right now. They just look like an average good team. They don't look like a dominant great team. You know, they, they're, they're only one game better than Oklahoma and, and not too – Clippers, Houston, San Antonio, they're, not, they're, th- they're all two and three games behind this team. They're not running away with it like they were the past seasons, and I don't expect them to. But I do expect them to pick up the pace and put put together a couple of runs here of seven and ten game win streaks um, before the season's end. At least two, three times is what I what I would hope to see. All right. Well, let's hope you're right, Ray. We're gonna see. Uh, we're gonna be shifting more and moving more and more into the Warrior season as we say goodbye. To football, but there's still plenty of football left. Of course, we have the draft to look forward to, and then free agency, and it'll be back before you know it. Now, Raymond, before we end, why don't you let them know where can they find you? You can find me I'm most active on Twitter, but I'm also on Instagram. I'm uh, and Twitter. I'm at Ray Solis, and Instagram. I'm at Ray Solis One. So, shout out to Irish uh, Niner fan who actually sends me news feeds and says hello. So shout out to you. Thanks for that. Appreciate that. And also shout out to, I heard that we have a 10 year old that listens or 11 year old that listens to the podcast. So shout out to uh, Sterling Lawrence. Thank you for uh, listening to the show. Um, Hope you're having a good time uh, listening. Sterling, we we enjoy it. Thank you. And I'm sorry I said the F word, Sterling. I apologize for that. I now feel really bad. I feel really guilty about that. Nothing he hasn't heard before from what I'm told. (laughs) Okay, good. Uh, all right. So, uh, you can find me, uh, on Instagram at Rudy Solis three and Twitter at Rudy Solis three R D. So concludes another edition of the gold cast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Solis third. And with me is my brother, my co-host Raymond Solis, the first baby. Boom. We'll see you next time. Same gold cast time. Same gold cast channel. This is, is the gold cast. <laughs>